Well, let me add my uh, welcome to Pete's. It's good to see everyone this morning. Uh, I wonder if you'd join me at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. If you've got a, a church Bible in front of you, it's page 979. Ephesians chapter 6. So what's Ephesians about? It's been a while since we've been in it. In this uh, letter, Paul is explaining what it means to be a Christian. And being a Christian means being joined to Jesus. And it's not just an idea, it's not really a metaphor, it's the fact that by the Holy Spirit we're actually joined to the risen body of Jesus, joined to his actual body, risen, resurrected by the Father, and that has implications. It means something. Because we're joined to Jesus, being made new, and we're being transformed. And in our passage this morning, Paul applies that, what that means for family. And we pick up in chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, each time we gather, each time we meet, we can trust that you are present with us. We can also trust as well that you will speak to us primarily through your word. It's not me, Lord, that uh, just simply preaches empty words this morning, but you are at work through me, and you are at work in all the hearts of all your children here, no matter how old we are. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you would uh, apply what you've got for us to hear to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in this uh, section that is sometimes called uh, household instructions. Household instructions. There's three relationship dynamics that would be found in a typical Ephesian household. Three relationship dynamics that are defined by being joined to Jesus. And the definitive feature of these relationships is submission. Look back to chapter 5, verse 21. Paul tells the Ephesians to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Being joined to Jesus changes the way we treat each other. And it looks something like submission. It's it looks like laying down our lives, something like picking up our cross. It looks something like the life of Jesus. And this morning we're exploring how Paul applies this to family. And we have three points this morning. You'll see on the back of the order of service, the sermon outline. And with the first point, I want to start thinking what it means to be a Christian in your family. What is it like for you to be a Christian in your family? If someone was to ask you that question um, over coffee after the service, what would you say? 
We shouldn't forget that we all have very different family situations. Maybe you're you're blessed with a a family uh, with lots and lots of mature Christians in it. Maybe you're the only Christian. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're wondering what on earth has Jesus got to do with family? We all have very different situations. But one thing that we all do have in common and that we share, what is the same for all of us, is a real need to be made new and transformed by God's grace. Consider our passage this morning. Why does Paul need to tell children to obey their parents? Because they don't, right? Not instinctively. Children aren't born with an inbuilt gratitude for discipline and instruction. How many times have children said, oh, thank you for correcting me from the error of my ways? Not many times, I'm sure. Why does Paul need to tell uh, fathers not to provoke their children to anger? Because they do. Parents aren't instinctively born perfect parents, a a picture of, of peaceful calm in the face of disobedience. No one said just because you're a Christian it would make family easy. In fact, we become more aware of sin of how imperfect we are, how short-tempered we get. And so we become more aware of the need for Jesus. The need for Jesus to make us new, to transform us by his spirit dwelling in us. Imagine we could ask a member of the congregation in Ephesus, what does it mean to be a Christian in your family? Can you imagine some of the things that they would talk about, the challenges that they would uh, share, the things that they face? Let's, let's take a moment to think of their, their culture, the influences and voices that are speaking to them from outside their Christian community. Because in Ephesus, in, in their time, their cultural moment, to be pagan parents would mean that you were allowed to do whatever you wanted to your children. In ancient Roman law, the father had a legal right to limitless power over his family. In fact, he could kill his child and get rid of them if he wanted to. If he didn't want them, he could get rid of them. Every inch of their lives was in his power to control. So I think this is an extraordinary thing that Paul is is speaking into when we think of their cultural moment. And I think that's why in verse 1, Paul adds the qualifier in verse 1, to obey your parents in the Lord. Paul says, we're talking about a a Christian home here where, where, where the Lord is front and center, and here the children should obey their parents. And he says, this is God's design. This is what is right. Children that receive biblical teaching, where where children receive wise, godly words that they can listen to. And because of that, they they gladly honor their parents by doing what they're told. 
Christian who are really glad to honor their parents as the, the, the Ten Commandments tells them to. Glad because their father doesn't abuse this limitless amount of power that they've got in their, in their grasp. And likewise, Paul says, if you're going to be a good Christian dad, verse 4, do not sin in that limitless power. Don't provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul is trying to develop a good, godly household dynamic. Now, you might imagine uh, these Ephesian dads down the local pub in Ephesus, the three tunics. Uh, the Christian dads are sitting together with some pagan dads. Maybe they're having a pint or whatever they had those days. And maybe they're complaining about their children. And the Christian dad, if he's courageous, he says, well, no, actually, I don't beat them. I haven't sold them. I'm not going to get rid of them. My approach is that of a Christian dad. What's that? Well, the Bible tells us to lovingly nourish and cherish them on God's gracious law. Don't provoke them. Don't make them angry. I nourish and cherish them. Maybe, maybe he'd even have a parchment of this letter to bring and he'd point to verse 4 and say the words bring them up in verse 4. That's what it means. Nourish and cherish. He would say we have Jesus in our family and so we do things differently. Now, look, this might make the, the Christian dad become a laughing stock in the three tunics, right? He probably wouldn't have seemed a typical picture of strength and, and manliness. He probably seemed a bit naive, very countercultural. But that's the sort of criticism that a Christian dad has to take. And that's true for mum, right? Christian parents go against the cultural grain to uphold biblical principles and values for the family. They take it on the chin, and that's tough. It's not going to make you really popular at work or at nursery or at school or in the sports teams. Probably for parents, it's not going to make you popular with your children for a while. But that's how it is. And we do it, point to... Because being joined to Jesus transforms your family role. And our second point, I want to unpack what it means for the role of child and parent to be made new and transformed. What does it mean for them? What does it look like for them to be joined to Jesus in the family? Look to verses 2 and 3 again. Paul says, Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. God spoke these words at Sinai when he graciously gave his, gave his people a way to enjoy his blessings. That's, that's what it means uh, when, when God gave his law, a way to enjoy his blessings. It was a gift to God's people to walk as God's people. 
And this commandment, says Paul, was the first with a promise. Well, in fact, it was the only one with a stated promise. If you honor your parents, things will go well with you. And the promise seems to be for children to understand, and for all of us, because we're always a child in one sense, that honoring your parents leads to a blessed and happy life. So I think the, the, the big thing Paul is doing in verses 1 to 3 is saying to the children, realize what you've got in Christian parents. Listen to them, because through them God is speaking to you. Through them God is leading you to his blessings, a blessed, happy life with him. To be a child in a Christian family where Jesus is at the heart He's at the front and center of the family. It means to listen to your parents. They will give you what you need. But this is a two-way street. It it must work both ways. And so, verse 4, Paul emphasizes the need for godly parenting. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I'm going to unpack these uh, verses with three subheadings, which you'll see on the, the order of service. Tenderness, discipline, and instruction. Paul begins with the need for tenderness. Instead of provoking children to anger, he says these three very important words. Bring them up. Remember I said that bring them up means it means tender nourishment. And it's the, it's the same uh, Greek phrase in chapter 5, verse 29. I wonder if you remember that last time out. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Here he was uh, talking about uh, a way a man, uh, his posture, his love towards his wife. A tender, a tender love. Instead of provoking children to anger, instead of treating them unfairly, maybe mocking them, being sarcastic, being aggressive, being too overbearing, too controlling, or even being too distant. Instead, says Paul, nourish and cherish your children with a tender love. And this, this is what it means to go Old Testament on your children. It means to have a tender love. Psalm 103, verse 13 says, Just as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This Old Testament psalm uses the image of a compassionate father to his children. I think this is the image of parenting that David has in his mind. The Old Testament picture of a a father, a a family man, is one who is compassionate, who is tender towards his child. There's nothing more alpha male, nothing more revealing of a real man than gentle words and great affection to his children. And also to the mother of his children. I wonder if fathers here today, you've considered that your tenderness to your wife as something helpful for your children. 
The Christian philosopher Elton Trueblood said, it is the father's responsibility to make the child know that he is deeply in love with the child's mother. There is no good reason why all evidence of affection should be hidden or carried on in secret. A child who grows up with the realization that his parents are lovers has a wonderful basis of stability. Interesting, isn't it? Paul says to fathers, be tender. Secondly, he speaks of discipline. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When Paul says discipline, he's talking about training, building, growing, supporting, guiding. Now, in our modern world, we look for help in books, podcasts, all that jazz, and we're very blessed because there are many uh, helpful books on every subject, especially parenting. But when it comes to our family situations, we all know how different they are, how varied they are, that the best training resource, therefore, comes in the Bible. Listen to these words of Deuteronomy 6. I think this is, I don't know, it's so relevant, and yet it's all the way back there in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6, from verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Really clear instructions for what it looks like to train your family as a parent. Have God's word just everywhere. I think he's saying parents are responsible to minister to their children in the home. They're with them every day, and therefore only a parent really has this access that can fulfill these words of Deuteronomy. So it's worth asking, I think, how often do I speak about God to my children? Do I speak about Jesus as a person in my life, in their life, not as an idea or historic figure, but as the Son of God, the Word became flesh, who teaches and instructs us on how to live in this world? Listen to this from Sinclair Ferguson. He says that the, the model father of the Old Testament took the deepest interest in his children. By word and example, he taught them wise principles to enable them to respond to the wide variety of situations in life. In particular, he taught them how to deal with sin and temptation. A biblical, godly parenting is training the children training the children to be ready for the world. A, a parent's uh, role is not just to provide practically. A father's not around just to do the heavy lifting, but to train up the children. So that's tenderness, discipline, and then thirdly, instruction. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline is 
the training ground, the weightlifting, the treadmill. Whereas instruction is more like warning, confronting, restraining. It's really vital. Um, and as I was researching this sermon, I found a list of five things parents can do to instruct their children. Again, I've put this on the, the order of service. Um, I'm not going to expand on each and every one of them because um, I think that's for you guys to do at home. But firstly, be involved in verbally instructing them. Verbally being the, the emphasis there. Keep talking to them. Secondly, regularly leading them in family devotions and prayer, ministering to the family. Thirdly, and I mean this is becoming more relevant in our household every day as Mia gets older, monitor and take responsibility for the input that enters their impressionable minds. That's a scary one for us today. Number four, taking responsibility to help assure that church is a meaningful experience. I think this is a really good one. I'm not sure how much I thought of that before. Deliberately taking responsibility to think, how can my kids actually have a meaningful experience at church? It's quite something. Number five, be an example. We must make sure that the open book of our lives... Our example demonstrates the reality of our instruction, for in watching us, they will learn the most. They're always watching us, right? What are they seeing? So I would uh, invite you to take this list home and think about it and what it looks like in your life. We all have very different situations, but we trust that God will speak into them, right? And he'll apply them to our needs. And I think don't just take the list, but add to it. Make it yours. Discuss it with your family. That's a good idea. Maybe parents could get feedback from the children about it. Being made new and transformed. That's what God wants to do in our lives. It's what it means to be a family joined to Jesus. And I think it's something that we can do joyfully together, right? So hopefully that list will be helpful. Our third and final point is very brief. I just want to reflect on how this church, Edinburgh North Church, has been an example uh, of family life for me and, and for Fern, and, and now for Mia. When, we, when me and Fern came to, to ENC, we were very much aware that there was not many people our age, but Fern was pregnant at the time when we was moving to Edinburgh, and we felt that God would teach us to be parents he would teach us to grow as a Christian family through the parents and families at Edinburgh North Church. And that's been the case. And we've been very, very blessed to enjoy and receive from the families here. As much as we hold up the Bible to teach us, the people that God is teaching through the Bible is an example to, to parents like me and Fern. And I think that as I was reflecting on this, the big surprise for me was that a lot of the things that I've learned about parenting or, or being a Christian family has actually come through the children themselves. And so I want to take a moment just to say that the way your children outwardly honor you is a testimony to your parenting. 
From my experience, it's been amazing. They reveal the gospel lifestyle that you've brought them up in. And most often, it's really, really simple things that probably only people like myself from a non-Christian background would even notice. I remember one of the first times, if not the very first time, we were invited to lunch. And when, when we finished, all the children got up and started clearing away the dishes and putting them into the dishwasher. I couldn't believe it. Christian children raised in a Christian home, gladly serving their parents and the, the adult guests. What a wonderful example of hospitality, a way of honoring their, their parents and serving the Lord. When I was a, a child, whenever we had family gatherings, it would be before the meal had finished that, that we'd quickly run off as children and the adults would be too drunk to even notice. As children, we only just thought about ourselves. But your children have been a great testimony of being raised in the gospel, guided by the Bible, of having Jesus in the family. And all this, it originates in the respect that the children have for their parents. It doesn't just happen. First and foremost, the children have respected their parents. They've listened to their teaching. They've valued their words of wisdom and they've imitated their behavior. I know it won't have been easy. I know it won't have turned out perfectly. But years and years of this has led to what I see um, as, as some very, very blessed uh, children. Now, as we come to a close and we start thinking about receiving the, the Lord's Supper. Let me say these final things. And there's no easy way to say it, so forgive me for being blunt, but some families just have a really terrible time. Some families seem to face trial after trial. Many families, for different reasons, won't look like a typical wife and husband, a mother and a father, some struggle with loss, others struggle having never received the gift of children. But I, I want you to know, and I'm sure you know, that the complexities of our situations, it doesn't change the goodness of God and his design for family. That ache, that empty gap, the yearning feeling for what is missing or fractured in family, it's rooted in the desire of something good. A good desire for how God created things before the fall, before sin ruined things. So don't avoid the pain in your family. Don't bury your head in the sand. That aching feeling comes from a knowing of how things should be. And here's the good news, what Ephesians is all about. Whoever we are, whatever our situation is, the greatest blessing God gives any family is Jesus. It's not, it's not something that Jesus hands over to the family. It is him himself. It is his body that he gave for you and for your family. His body that he laid down that frees us from sin and allows us to 
live in, in beautiful submission to one another. What I want to get across more than anything this morning, what I want you to go away with, is that you are joined to the risen body of Jesus, and he is your blessing. And we are all of us blessed by our Lord, by feeding on him, by communing with him, and becoming more like him in our families and in all of our life. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your creation. We thank you that you did not leave us alone. You did not turn your face away when sin entered humanity, when it corrupted this world, but that you gave your son. Father, we think on that, that day in a manger when Jesus was born, when he was a child, when he submitted to his earthly parents, when he respected the, the elders around him and was led by them, and then when he became an adult, when he thought of his mum as he died on a cross. We pray, Father, that we would, today, that we would receive uh, Jesus, all the good that he has for us, and we pray that wherever you find us today, whatever our families look like, whatever it means for us to be a Christian in our family, that we would know that you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.